Okay, please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. And uh, let's look at verse 1, please. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Here's a picture of wicked works. And this group of brethren have travelled from Judea to Syria to muddy the waters. You've got two churches very much in play during the first century church. You've got the Church of Jerusalem, which was run by Jewry, Jewish apostles, 99% Jews. And you've got the Church of Syria, run pretty much by Barnabas and Paul, two saved Jewish apostles, but their congregations were for the most part Gentile. And the word of God told you from Jude 1 to contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You have to contend. You have to fight. You have to defend the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And I think if we lose this battle as Bible believers, if we decide not to defend this truth, if we become blasé or indifferent when it comes to faith alone, then I think we've lost a major battle. In fact, I think it's paramount that we fight to defend it and to continue to preach it. I do think this group that have travelled from Judea were somewhat curious and somewhat envious as to what was occurring in Syria. Look at verse 2, please. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. Paul and Barnabas tried to discuss this. Paul and Barnabas tried to defend the position of the grace of God, being faith alone, in Christ alone, with this group from Judea, but it was to no avail. Therefore the church has determined, the church in Syria has determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them We'll go up to Jerusalem, the mother church, and to the apostles and elders about this question. It's fair to say that one of the main stumbling blocks in the early church was, what do we do about the law? We're now saved by grace. We've trusted in the Messiah of Israel. The Gentiles are coming in in massive numbers. Look at Acts 2, 3,000 get saved. In reference to Jews, of course, no Gentiles. Acts 3 and 4, 5,000 get saved, in reference to Jews, of course, not Gentiles. And therefore, by Acts 5, you've got 8,000 souls that are saved. 8,000 souls, and some scholars believe that by Acts 10, you've got around 20,000 saved souls in Jerusalem and around. It's quite remarkable how quick Christianity grew. But I'm thinking about Paul and Barnabas, I'm thinking about their... Church in Syria, predominantly Gentile. And I'm thinking to myself, what sort of numbers are we looking at here? A thousand? Two thousand? I don't think the church of Syria was anywhere near the size of the church of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem was a mother church. Jerusalem, of course, is the eternal city. The Lord died outside of Jerusalem. And the Lord will come back to Jerusalem to rule and reign for a thousand years. Look at verse 3, please. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. Samaria, once upon a time, was a questionable part of Israel. On one occasion, it was somewhat indifferent to the Lord's ministry. And the two sons of Zebedee, 
wanted to call fire down from heaven and destroy them. And the Lord said, listen, I haven't come to destroy men's lives. I've come to save men's lives, which should really shame the popes that have put to death 50 million people over many centuries and should also put John Calvin to shame, who killed over 50 people in Switzerland. But they've caused great joy in Samaria and Venezia, which suggests to me that they too have received the word of God. And therefore great joy has come to all of the brethren. I think the early church must have been remarkable. So pure. In fact, just think about this for one moment, if you will. Acts 2 and Acts 3 and 4. You've got 8,000 souls saved. 8,000. Acts 5, you get a couple called Ananiah and Sapphira. Or Annas and Sapphira, excuse me. A married couple. Saved, I believe, and yet they conspire to deceive the Holy Ghost. And I spent, I think, four weeks looking at that piece of scripture. And Peter says to this couple, why have you agreed together to tempt the Holy Ghost? And the first person drops down dead, the husband. Then the wife comes in, and Peter gives her the chance to come clean. She lies as well, and then she drops down dead, and the man Bury her alongside her husband. But listen to this. 8,000 souls around Acts 5. And yet, how many bad apples? Just two. Can you say the same about today? Look at the church today. Look at the world of Christendom. It's contaminated. It's stained with sin. Apostasy, compromise. And yet this early church was something else. Just two bad apples out of 8,000 remarkable verse 4 and when they were come to jerusalem they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders and they declared all things that god had done with them paul and barnabas have arrived and paul and barnabas are the first to speak to this group of people but if you were to read some of the many books that i've read over the years by church scholars they will refer to this account as the Council of Jerusalem. They would refer to this as the first council held by the church. Now you know, if you are born again, Bible-believing Christian, and if you are specifically a King James Bible-believing Christian, that the word council, when it appears in the Bible, is always used in a negative connotation. They held a council, John 11, in reference to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. They held a council to deal with John the Baptist. Council, council, council is always used in reference to organized religion coming together, plotting against the Lord and his people. Go outside of the New Testament, look at the Council of Nicaea, or the Council of Carthage, or the Council of Trent. Such councils were called to plot against the Lord's people. Paul would refer to this account as a conference. In the book of Galatians. So I'm going to refer to this as a conference as well. In Jerusalem. As I say council is synonymous with persecution. Plotting. And even putting people to death. But Paul has got up with Barnabas. And they have declared all things. Verse 4 that God had done with them. They're reaffirming their credentials. To the church in Jerusalem. But look at verse 5 please. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law 
of Moses. It goes back to verse 1 in reference to Gentile believers needing to do something in order to be saved. Now, if you mess around with justification by faith, if you contaminate justification by faith, if you muddy the waters in reference to justification by faith, you are condemned, according to Galatians chapter 1. But it says this group of Pharisees believed, much like Simon the sorcerer did back in Acts chapter 8, which leads me with a slight dilemma. How do we assess this group of people? It says they believed, and yet Paul speaks about them in Galatians 2, and he says, false brethren came in unawares to spy out our liberty, and he's scathing of this group of individuals. He calls them false brethren, and yet Dr. Luke says they believed. How do you harmonize the two? Can a false brother, can a false sister be saved? Well, you didn't get saved as a false teacher. You got saved by believing. But if you stray into error, then you become a false teacher. And people say, well, do you lose your salvation? No, of course not. You can't lose your salvation, but you will lose rewards. But this group of Pharisees, the same type of people that put the law to death, the same type of people that held councils, John 11, for example, plotting against the Lord, the same group of people that bribed the Roman soldiers not to allow people to think that the apostles were somehow exonerated, that they could blame the apostles in reference to the Lord's disappearance from the tomb. This group of Pharisees believed. So they are saved. And yet what a difficult piece of scripture to try and harmonize with Galatians 2. This goes back to the area of separation, naming and shaming. What do you do with somebody who you like? A brother who's saved, but is teaching error. Do you call him out? Do you shame him? Do you separate from him? You were told to mark those that preach another gospel and warn others. You were told to rebuke them sharply. It's very painful when you come across somebody who you know, who has strayed into error, who's teaching faith and works. And here, this group are muddying the waters. And yet it could just be, I'm going to try and be fair to them this morning, that they were saved and yet their zeal got the better of them. You see, for the Jews, it was a great dilemma. What do we do with the law? We are the chosen people. We've been around for thousands of years. The Gentiles are unclean. We have our beloved temple. Is all this going to become vain? Is it all going to become worthless? And of course, yes, it would do by 70 AD. The Lord knocks down that temple. The Jews start to decrease and the Gentiles start to increase. Put yourself in the mindset of a Jew. A typical Jew in the first century thought that the Gentiles were unclean. In fact, the Lord would come into contact with a Syrophoenician woman in the Gospels. And she pleads with him to heal her daughter, who has been possessed by an unclean spirit. And this encounter goes on for several verses. And the Lord says, listen, it's not fit to feed the dogs. It's not right to take the crumbs from the children's table in reference to the Jews and give to the dogs. He calls her a dog. People say that's... A bit over the top, that term dog in Greek is a nickname for a pet. Well, that may be the case, but a dog is still a dog. In fact, if you were to sit down with most rabbis, even today, if they would be honest with you and ask them to explain the third chapter of Genesis to you in reference to the seed of Eve and the seed of the serpent, if they are honest with you, they would say that the seed of the serpent is in reference to the Gentiles. 
See, Gentiles are unclean in the eyes of the Jews. If you see a Muslim and a dog, it looks somewhat odd because a Muslim doesn't like a dog. Muslims hate dogs. Muslims think dogs are unclean animals. If you are a dog walker, next time you're walking in the local park and you see a group of Muslims, they'll run away from the dog. They think the dog is unclean, much like the Jews' thoughts of Gentiles. So I am somewhat appreciative as to how the early church felt about Gentiles coming into their fold. Are they going to contaminate us? But Paul was ahead of the game. Paul knew that the Gentiles were the future of the church because the Jews are going to decline as the first century ends and the Gentiles are going to increase as the church goes into the second century. And the Lord gave the Jews, what, 40 years grace from 30 AD to 70 AD before the temple was destroyed. And I think any group of Jews would have said to themselves, okay, we've now lost two temples. Clearly the Lord is not, is not happy with us as a people and therefore we're going to switch from our wonderful temple in Jerusalem, a physical temple to a spiritual temple. First Corinthians 3 and 6. Verse 6. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider of this matter. At times you think to yourself, what was the problem here? They knew that they couldn't save themselves. You know you can't save yourself. I know that I can't save myself. If you've come to the Lord, if you've been born again, you know you can't go back to the law. You can't do religion once you have done relationship. And that's what Paul is speaking about in Galatians 5. How the church of Galatians was filled with people that had fallen from grace. They hadn't lost their salvation, of course, but they had fallen back under the law. You see, you can fall inboard, but you can never fall overboard. But the apostles and elders have come together for to consider of this matter. Let's have a conference. Let's try and thrash us out once and for all. And I'll say one more time, let's not call this a council, please. Let's call this a conference. Seven. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of God and believe. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And yet this term, in reference to God made choice among us that the Gentiles, the heathen, by my mouth should hear the word of God and believe is true. But Peter wasn't the first Jew to preach to the Gentiles. And I've heard Catholics quote this scripture and they omit the eighth chapter of Acts of the Apostles in reference to Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. Not Peter, Acts 10 in reference to Cornelius. So you've got to be careful when we read the word of God that we don't omit certain historical facts. What he's trying to say is that it was, always, it was always the Lord's will to have Gentiles parts of the body of Christ. And again, this must have been a shock to certain parts of Jewry that were saved. Yes, they wanted Gentiles to be saved, of course. I'm a saved Gentile. I want my Jewish friends to be saved, of course. And yet they are concerned about their culture, their history. We've been around for thousands of years. Abraham, Moses, Daniel, David, Solomon. Does it all end? The answer, of course, is no. The Lord has come to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. 
8. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. And put no difference between us and them, purifying the hearts by faith. The just shall live by faith. Sola fide, that's what the reformers quite rightly referred to in reference to a sinner being saved. You're saved purely by faith in Christ alone. Contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That's a battle that we all have to fight. We have to go on the offensive. We can't be defensive all of the time. We have to fight for the gospel. I don't mean physically fight, of course. I mean to spiritually fight. We have to fight heretics with the word of God. We have to fight false religions with the word of God. If you lose this battle, you've lost everything. If you are going to compromise on this subject, you may as well pack up and go home. I can't stress that enough. And Paul knew this. He couldn't be saved. He would lament of his sorry state as a saved Jew. He would refer to this in the seventh chapter of Romans. O wretched man that I am. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. What I want to do, I can't do. But I do what I don't want to do. It's a picture of the two natures in the believer. And I made reference to this last time in my message on Peter from Acts 10 and 11. A saved man, when arriving in Jerusalem, doesn't give a full account of his association with a chap called Simon the Tanner. Why? Because he knew it wouldn't appear particularly good in the eyes of jury. You mean to say, Peter, you hung around with a tanner? You mean to tell us you hung around with Gentiles? Those horrible, unclean heathen? Those dogs? The seed of the serpent? It's true. This is all historically accurate. And if you don't believe me, just sit down with a faithful and honest rabbi and ask him. Most Jews will say, no, no, we don't believe that. Like most Muslims will say, we don't believe that only Muslims go to paradise. We believe that if you're good and serve whatever God you believe in, you're good to go. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I was speaking to my Islamic friend, quote unquote, in town. And he said to me, as long as people believe in a God, that's better than no God. I mean, talk about ecumenical. Talk about playing it safe. He doesn't really mean that, of course, but he's, again, playing down the truth. He's being economical with the truth. He's trying to fit in with society. But I make the case, and I'll move on to verse 10 very quickly, that Peter, a saved man, complex, battled the two natures. But here, verse 9, purifying the hearts by faith. Peter knew it. Paul knew it. And maybe this group of Pharisees knew it. Verse 1 Verse 5, but they got caught up in nostalgia, perhaps, looking back to the good old days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, worrying that the Gentiles would come in and take their heritage from them. Far from it. As a saved Bible believer, I know that the Lord has a eternal love for the children of Israel, but religion per se, the temple per se, circumcision per se, rules and rituals per se, are out. We're under grace, not under the law. Look at verse 10, please. Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Did you get that? Why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples? Lordship salvation. Don't cause them to suffocate. Don't put them back under the law, which neither our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, nor we, the Jewish apostles, were able to bear. Please jump over to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. 
Look at verse 10, please. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. If you keep the whole law, which I should say is impossible, and yet offend in one point, you are guilty of all. You see, it's not possible to keep the law. The law kills, but grace makes you alive. Grace gives you mercy. In fact, jump over to Galatians chapter 3, please. And I'll get back to Acts 15 very shortly to show you scripture with scripture. This constant battle when it came to faith and works. Nothing has changed. There's nothing new under the sun, as Solomon would say. Galatians 3, look at verse 10, please. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You are cursed. Listen to me now. You are cursed if you don't keep the Jewish law. You are expected to keep the Jewish law. Go back to Acts 15, please. And if you didn't keep the Jewish law, you were cut off. And that term cut off, Daniel 9, means death. He was cut off, but not for himself. In reference to the Messiah, of course. Also, that term cut off can be used to describe excommunication. But once you entered into the Old Testament covenant with the Lord, once you voluntarily entered into the Old Testament covenants with Jehovah, you were expected to live a certain way. And if you didn't live a certain way, you could be put to death. I mean stoned to death. I mean burnt to death. Executed. If you didn't live a certain way. Of course, you needed two or three witnesses to find you guilty before you were put to death. But you were put to death if you didn't live a certain way. And here, Acts 15... Peter still speaking. We couldn't keep the law. Our fathers couldn't keep the law. So why are we putting a yoke on the Gentiles? What are we doing? You can't save yourself. And when you get saved, you don't keep yourself saved by doing religion. People email me all the time saying, I'm on my own. I don't know what to do. Can you recommend a church? Church can't help you. If Christ isn't enough for you, if the word of God isn't enough for you nothing is the word church is ecclesia and ecclesia means called out you are a separated person you are called out of the world to be a holy person a peculiar people a royal priesthood so if you start looking around for churches or religion to give you something extra technically speaking you are falling from grace you're trying to do religion now i'm not against breaking bread i will just qualify this before i move on i'm not against having a word of god praying with other believers. I'm not against that, never have been. But to be faithful to what I'm saying this morning, if you try and go back to religion after being saved out of religion, you are falling from grace. Galatians chapter 5. But I just want to read verse 10 one last time because I think it's so important, especially those of us which have teaching ministries, especially for those of us which preach the gospel in the streets. Now therefore, why tempt ye God? That can be in reference to work righteous people Catholics anyone and anyone Jehovah's Witnesses Mormons why tempt ye God or now therefore why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples save men and women you are disciple the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear cursed is everyone that doesn't continue in all things that are found in the law 
put the two together, what do you get? You get grace, which saves you. Grace, which sets you free. But the law, which kills you. There's no mercy under the law. If you break the law, you're going to be punished. What do they say? Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Verse 11. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. Music to my ears. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's righteousness at Christ's expense, we shall be saved even as they. You've passed from death unto life the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter knew it, and here to his credit, he's come through. Yes, he would fail in Galatians chapter 2 in reference to the Antioch incidents. Yes, he would fail back in the Gospels when he takes a sword and goes to kill a man, and he misses a man's head, and takes his ear off. And yes, he would fail in Acts 10 and 11, when he was giving a defense of himself to the Jewish leadership. But here, he's come through on the money. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. They knew it, but it took this conference to further reaffirm it. To put to bed any heresy that man can be saved by doing anything once he's been justified. Once he's been exonerated. Once you've been declared not guilty, you are free to leave the court. And I believe in America they have the law which says you can't be tried twice. They call it double jeopardy. Here in the UK that law doesn't exist. Here in the UK you can be tried for the same crime numerous times. But in America you can't be tried for the same crime twice. Or so I believe. And the same is true in Heaven, once a sinner has been justified, once a sinner has been declared not guilty, he can never be tried again. The devil can never get you into a courtroom and condemn you. Your works may condemn you at the judgment seats of Christ, and your fellowship might condemn you with the Lord. You may be backsliding, you may be all over the place as a saved sinner, but one thing you can never lose is your salvation. So I'm going to close there today, I think, in verse 11. And uh, as always, much ground is being covered. But please keep this in mind before I sign out for today that it was imperative back in the early church to defend the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The same is true today. We have to defend it. We have to fight for it. And we can't fellowship with anyone that questions how a sinner gets saved. Anybody who questions faith alone Anybody who questions imputation, anybody who questions eternal security, anybody who questions the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ is to be marked out as a heretic. That's how serious I think this is. And yes, we have grace. We can be kind to people. We can agree to disagree on some issues, but we can't agree to disagree on a subject as important as this. And yes, it's very painful when it comes to those that you know straying from the truth of scripture and teaching a faith and works package because it nullifies the work of the lord on the cross it puts the saved person back under the law which will condemn them which will kill them it takes any peace from you and causes you to become very anxious and depressed am i really saved did i really repent am i really producing fruit you start to beat yourself up You start to compare yourself with brothers or sisters. It's futile, it's pointless, it's heresy, quite honestly. But there you are. I won't go any further. 
And we'll pick it up next week in Acts 15, verse 12.